Hello, and welcome back to One Conversation, the podcast where we believe one conversation can change a life. If you're enjoying the podcast, please take a moment to hit the follow button. Also, give us a rating. We'd love to hear from you. Enjoy today's episode. This is only me, Brianna, here as uh, one of the hosts. We are missing Lisa today, but we do have a very, um, very exciting guest here with us. So Brian is a father, an avid Dallas Cowboys fan, and also has an incredible podcast of his own that we're looking forward to talking some more about. Uh, I actually met Brian when I was a title holder in the Miss America organization. I felt like anywhere I volunteered, you could count on Brian also being there (laughs) at any fundraiser a uh, volunteer event, Kiwanis, I know you're really involved in. So we just kind of built a friendship through that. And now seeing that you had a podcast, we wanted to make these worlds collide and have you on the One Conversation podcast. So welcome. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me. And yes, I, I we've known each other now for, for a number of years. Um, and from a distance, I've been able to really cheer you on. Uh, number one, as a person, just, you know, finding your own, finding your spouse, also, you know, welcoming yeah. your child and and soon to be, um, and also watching what you've been able to do uh, with Live Violence Free and also with other things that you've been a part of. So I've uh, been looking forward to this conversation for a while now. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm excited to have you here. So we're going to start with our fun questions. We always do this with our guests. You know, we had to prepare for some questions, but these are just off the wall. All right. So here's a would you rather is our first one. Would you rather be able to see 10 minutes into the future or 150 years into the future? I'd say 10 minutes into the future. I mean, 150 years into the future, you're taking out a lot of experience. And if you're only able to see that 10 minutes, now granted, it may, may only extend your life 10 minutes depending on the circumstance. But that extra 10 minutes, I mean, you would find out if you're going to get a flat tire, you would find out if you're purchasing the right lottery ticket or not, you would find out if, if you know, certain things are taking place. So I'd say 10 minutes, 150 years into the future. I mean, you're really looking at, if you think about 150 years ago, that's right about the Civil War. I'm, I, I want. I want to say. I mean, I'm, I'm probably off by that, but it's the after aftermath of it. So, I, I don't know that that today being able to see what's going on today would influence me as that person back then as much as maybe ten minutes in the future. So that's why I'm going to settle on that. I like that perspective, especially with the lottery ticket. Mm-hmm. And there's some things you know that happen in life. You're like, ah, if I could just go back to five minutes ago. Mm-hmm. So that's a that's a good way to think about it. I like that. Here's our next question: If you could be remembered for one thing, what would it be, and why? I think I would want to be remembered as the person who cared about people. And it's one of those things. I mean, we all get caught up in friend groups and you know, work groups and, and, and all of those things that we all take part in. But what sort of impact did you make upon people? Not, not maybe what did you say. I mean, I don't want to be known for a quote. 
but I'd like to be known as somebody who made other people feel welcome and also was made other people feel that I was reliable or that I was a person that they could reach out to. I would say from listening to your podcast that you are a person that makes other people feel welcome. I mean, listening to your podcast and knowing you in person, well, right? There's you. a there's a reason why there's so many people that we interact with, but for whatever reason, we connected and kind of seem to keep connecting on these volunteer and, uh, you know, virtuous opportunities. All right. Next one is a question that we ask every one of our guests. If you could have lunch with anyone, dead or alive, past or present, who would it be and why? That's an excellent question. I've answered this question a number of ways in the past, and a lot of times it's been somebody who was in a political fashion, and it's not one side of the aisle or the other side of the aisle, but somebody who's made a difference. But I've started to study a lot of people, and what I've realized is that people can either be really cool or they can just be grotesque. And it just it doesn't matter what side of the political aisle you're on or what sort of faith you have. There's people within all of that, right? So I think if I were able to sit down with one person and just, you know, have a nice chat with them, I'd want to go with somebody with like a philosophical point of view, but also somebody who's a little bit of a conspiracy theorist, if I may be honest, uh, just because it's, it intrigues me. It doesn't mean they're correct. It intrigues me. Right. And one of the, one of the, um, one of the things that I've been reading about lately is the younger Dryas impact theory which is it talks about all of the floods in all of the different areas um, as far as like the quote-unquote flood myth. So like Noah's Ark, not saying it's a myth, but that's what it's called, um, or different things like that, and also had that impact on civilization. And kind of one of the people behind that is Graham Hancock. And I do think that he's really kooky, but I think that him talking with me about that and being able to answer my questions as a layman would be like a really cool conversation, regardless if he's right or wrong. I would just love to have the conversation with him. Yeah. I am definitely guilty of going down the conspiracy theory rabbit holes sometimes. (laughs) Yeah. They they, they can be dangerous. Oh, absolutely. I was getting my nails done and it just so happens that the person getting or doing my nails uh, was a flat earther. And so we started talking about that. She sent me all these TikTok videos. And then the next day at work, I was still thinking about it. And so I told my coworker about it. And then I got her onto it. That's kind of how these things spread. But it's so interesting to look at, you know, we talked about perspective, like those different perspectives that people have. That would be really intriguing. Recently, there was the, um, and I want to say it's the Gen Z generation, but I also don't want to like label anybody or, or put anybody in a box here but the the thought that the birds were fake that they were just like spies like i right. i don't believe any of that but i'm curious how people get to that point i'm curious what led yes. them to that which is why i want to have some of these conversations now the younger driest impact theory very well could be real i i personally just as a person who likes history and archaeology and that sort of stuff i really enjoy learning about that because how do you explain pyramids in Egypt and pyramids in the Yucatan Peninsula and pyramids in now Brazil and and how do you explain the, the, the technology without trade routes? And I think it's really interesting to think about. It very well could be true, very well could be false. It doesn't make a difference either way, but I'm interested. 
sounds like you need to find a guest for your podcast who's a conspiracy theorist. Well, Graham Hancock, <laughs> if you're listening to this, let's yeah. let's connect. That sounds good. So speaking of your podcast, we'll go right into our main content questions here. Can you share your story with us and what led you to get into podcasting? So I got into podcasting a couple of years ago, uh, probably two and a half years ago. And what what really made me do it is uh, a childhood friend of mine and I would have conversations and we would really just talk a lot about movies or life or, you know, things like that, that really just interested it interested me and, and interested him. But also we would debate and we would have philosophical arguments about just random things. And it made made us think, hey, if we actually recorded some stuff like this, would people be interested? And so that's what got me into the very first podcast that I was a part of. This podcast, the, Un- the Unfiltered Discussions podcast, was basically dropped in my lap. And it wasn't something that I had intended to go into, but it was something that was fortuitous enough to give me the experience of interviewing people on serious matters. And my very first guest uh, it was a high school friend of mine. She's still a friend of mine. She's the mother of my goddaughter. She is the mother of my godson. And she was going through a scenario where both parents had died. And her mom died when she was really young. Her father died just a couple years ago. And she started contemplating the thought that she was an adult orphan, meaning that she didn't have any parents anymore Mm. and how that was impacting her. And I said, you know, I have recording equipment. Why don't you just come over? Let's go to dinner. Let's come come over. Let's have a discussion, let it out and just see how it makes you feel. So we, we finished the discussion and she goes, you know, I think you really have a project on your hands here. So I thought about it and I thought, well, this really isn't something that I was intending to do, but I kind of gauged some interest on some other people who I knew had stories that they wanted to tell. And I said, well, why not? Why not just try it? The worst case is that I don't like it and I just fold, right? So I ended up getting involved. And what I found was, is a lot of people within my circle um, have stories that they want to tell. And some of the stories I wasn't even aware of. Um, Mm -hmm. for instance, one of my really good friends, uh, from childhood, um, he had to give up custody of his son and it was not public. It wasn't, he didn't even make it public to, I want to say even his parents, but he wanted to share it on this podcast. And the story behind it was not that he's a deadbeat dad. It wasn't that he, you know, he's, he's anything like that. It was, it was a case that was made because of the best interests of the child. And that's, some of the types of stories that are on here. I really wanted to um, display stories that that meant something to people, but also not try to dissect them from a psychological level. Their story is their story. I don't want to change it. Mm-hmm. And that's why it's called Unfiltered Discussions is because I don't want to filter it. I don't want to make their story about anything but what they're trying to say. And... I find, at least for me myself, when I have deep conversations with people and I have a conversation about a difficult topic, a lot of times I feel better after the the discussion, regardless of the outcome. I've at least gotten it out. And I think that that's been the case with this podcast. I mean, we've talked about domestic violence. I've talked about Mm -hmm. um, medical issues. Um, I had some cousins on that found each other through genealogy. Um, I've talked with... um, 
a number of different people about a number of different topics. And what I found for me was, is that I'm having a conversation with people that I may or may not have talked to before, but that I'm at least engaged with them. And in some fashion, I'm sharing their, their story with them. I'm sharing, I'm walking in their shoes, if you will, but I also don't have to have the repercussions emotionally per se of me having to go through their circumstances. But then at the end, we can always present it in a, po- in a positive light. Like, what did they learn from it? Or what advice would they give to somebody? Or, you know, how were they able to power through? What are some successes that they can share? What are some resources that they can share? And so that's what meant a lot to me to be able to do this. And so for that reason, I like doing this and I'll continue doing this. Yeah, giving someone the platform to just open up, use their voice, share their story. I mean, you know, that's something that I'm really passionate Mm -hmm. about because, you know, we first connected from me sharing my story with groups like Kiwanis. And that's part of how I healed from my domestic violence, my teen dating violence Mm -hmm. experiences was I didn't go the traditional therapy route at first. I'm in therapy now. Uh, And I talk about that openly, but the way I first started healing was by telling my story Yeah, because you did get, or I did get that satisfaction of just speaking it out into the world and especially Mm -hmm. knowing that it's well received by at least one person just gives you that little ounce of confidence back. Yes. And so the way that you're able to provide this for folks I, I mean, of course it's working because so many people, everyone has a, a story that they can share and it can be so healing for people. So thank you for providing that. It can. And one of the things that, that I found going through this, and this might tie into another question that you have, but one of the things that I found going through this is that people were reaching out to me, telling me the things that they were going through that I had no clue. So for instance, as I was reaching out to people or at least broadcasting that I was looking for guests, one of my friends, close friend of mine, came to me and he disclosed that he was molested as a child. I would have never known. And it's mm-hmm. something that I don't know that we're going to record that. We we might it's a, it depends on his level of comfortability. Sure. But if if we do, more than likely he would have, you know, some sort of guard over his voice and we don't do video and so it would be kind of anonymous mm-hmm. in that sense, but Understanding that people go through things that they don't speak about, for me, allows me to find more compassion in things that I would have not known otherwise. And so for him, knowing that he's gone through this, this subject, it, it doesn't change our friendship at all, but it, it does at least let me know that that's out there, to look for it, to be respectful of it, to deal with it as it comes. And to not try to change it or fix it, because that's his job is to change it or fix it. Mm-hmm. And um, But it does allow me to be more supportive as a friend. And separately, I've, I've had people reach out to me about, um, and, and soon enough, I think in season two, I'll have a friend of mine who had his daughter who, um, who unfortunately was molested by a friend of his. And we're going to have that conversation. Um, potentially also in season two, um, there's a mom who wants to come on and talk about the loss of her daughter through an overdose. And um, these are serious, these are serious, serious subjects that, that people don't, it, people aren't necessarily comfortable sharing, which is also why I don't try to force them to share like, hey, we need to get you on the podcast. They're welcome mm-hmm. to come on as they see fit. I'm not going to force them into that. But being able to talk about it is a relief. 
regardless of the outcome of the discussion. It is a relief in some cases. I'm very much pro therapy and 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 there you know therapeutic things talking with a counselor talking with a psychologist talking with mental health professionals because having conversations doesn't rid the circumstance and so being right. able to receive the tools to deal with the circumstance i think is very very important and i will always encourage people to do that right absolutely i'm going to throw another quick question in here with so many people coming to you and sharing their story and you don't you know, pressure them to say more or dive deeper into that, you know, because that's more for a therapy modality and not for your podcast. Um, But are there ways you take care of yourself when you kind of get overwhelmed by hearing all these stories, especially things that your friends are telling you that you had no idea? I mean, on this podcast, we're really big about self-care. And so I'm just curious how you make sure you take care of yourself hearing all these stories. Yeah, some of these stories can be brutal, right? And so yeah. it's it's listening to the story and then also how I deal with it. I think I've talked about this a number of different times, and there's been a couple of conversations that have really impacted me, basically because I had some sort of background in it. Um, so just to be candid with you, I, I had a guest on who, who talked about domestic violence and her circumstance around domestic violence. And really, it wasn't something that I talked a whole lot about, but when I was uh, in elementary school, my mom... Uh, her her husband was very violent, and I didn't realize that at the time, and we can get into that here in a little bit, but I had to kind of back up from the conversation and go, oh, ow, that, yeah, that kind of aches a little bit. I need to, I need to deal with that, right? And so it was things that I had to, I had to talk about it. I had to go back to my mom, and I had to talk with her and really just say, you know, here's my experience with it, and not to put any more turmoil on her for the circumstance that she went through, but just to have her acknowledge that, you know, as, a, as, a, as her son, that, you know, that happened. And then, of course, um, for me, being very open about it. I mean, I'm very open now um, about domestic violence. Um, it is a part of my past. It is something that happened to me. Um, but it is something where I have had to go to counseling for it before. Um, and that might, again, happen in the future. But as far as some of the stories, you know, as an example, should the mom of the of of the daughter who overdosed come on? That that's going to be a brutal conversation. This is a personal friend of mine yeah. that, while I wasn't in her shoes, I shared in her experience, and that's going to be something where I'd have to really protect myself, I guess, in the in the conversation uh, coming up to the conversation, but also be able to have a decompression from the conversation. I don't know that necessarily I'm going to adopt people's circumstances and have to go seek therapy for listening to their circumstances. I think a lot of times we as humans, we have conversations with people that are pretty weighty anyway, and we don't have to necessarily go to counseling for those weighty conversations, but I do kind of have to shield myself from it and I have to acknowledge if I am going through something. And I think that's the most important thing is being self-aware of my emotions in these conversations, in these circumstances, and also not taking on somebody else's circumstances, my own, I think is the biggest thing. I Likewise, I'm also privileged enough where I get to have the conversation with somebody and I get to publish it. So it's not a secret. It's I'm not acting as a counselor. I'm not having to hold on to people's information. I may have to not okay. disclose yeah. their their who you know their um, anonymity, but 
I do, I'm actually publishing it. So it is for the public to hear. It is for the public to, to listen to. So in a sense, more or less, I'm having a conversation that my audience will also hear, and they will also have to, to dredge into the discussion as well. And in, at some times, you know, we also have to check ourselves because like I said, I, I do have a background that does have a painful history in it, but that doesn't define me. And it's also not something that's going to define my future. So I also have to acknowledge that too. But I do think it's very important that, to be self-aware in this circumstance. So that way I'm also protecting myself because at the end of the day, not to be selfish, but I'm number one, as far as, you know, my emotions go. And that's also a reason why I naturally take a break. So that's these are into seasons because I don't want to do this week after week after week and then not have a time to recover. So season one's actually finishing here in a couple weeks. There will be a six-week break, and then season two will then launch. Great. I love that you have that already built in. I know on this podcast, we couldn't figure out where to break up our seasons, so we're just running with it. But that's a fantastic idea to give yourself that break. And as you were talking about it, it just made me kind of picture this domino effect of someone coming on the podcast and sharing their story. And maybe that think that makes you think about something in your own story, or maybe that makes a listener think about something in their own story. And then they maybe share that with someone, whether it's a friend or a mental health professional. And it's just this domino effect of people coming into the light with their experiences. And I think that's just such a good reminder to everyone who has a story that that could be an effect. I think it's important with any story just to, to make sure that there's an awareness around it, whether it's a, a mental health, a physical disability, um, something that's that's to be boasted and to be proud of, like finding cousins from, uh, you know, one's in the UK and one's here in the States um, through genealogy or being able to, I recently had a, a, a professor on from the, from Australia who wanted to talk about brain health. And one of the things that he was trying to make aware was how important socializing is for humans. And, and I brought him on and candidly, it was one of the best conversations I had had. But then there's been other guests where I've been able to talk with them and on paper, I would have never thought that I would have anything com in common with them and come to find out not only do we have things in common, but we also have, have been able to establish great relationships outside of the podcast. And I've gone on to their podcast or, you know, we're, we've got things in the works to partner again, et cetera, so forth. So it's, it, it really has been fun. Yeah. What a great thing this has built into for you. It's yeah. so exciting. Speaking of sharing stories, uh, how have your life experiences shaped you into who you are today, I guess, asking a little bit of your story as much as you're comfortable sharing here. Yeah, of course. Um, so the one, the one thing that you and I talked about behind the scenes when we were exchanging ideas about podcasts and guesting and that sort of stuff, for me, I do have an experience in domestic violence where when I was in third grade, it was the latter half of third grade, my mom got married to a gentleman um, who... My mom was a police officer, and he was also a police officer. They worked for the same agency, but not the same department, so there wasn't that nepotism thing there. But we moved, we moved where he was. We, we uprooted our lives, and we moved where he was. And he had uh, three children, two of which were outside of the home at the time. 
one of which was a year younger than me. And I, so I walk in and I immediately have a stepbrother. And the initial conversations that I remember having was, you know, we're not going to have any financial issues because, you know, here are two police officers that are uh, combining their incomes and, you know, they're, they're, it's a good financial situation for everybody. And I don't know if that was my mom's motivation here. I, I do imagine that he was a very charismatic person and, and illustrated himself in that way. But when we moved in, things just weren't normal, I guess. Um, you, you, the stepbrothers, my, myself and, and his son, you, of course, you'd argue over who's going to get shotgun in the car and you know who's going to sl- sleep in which bed. But I, I do remember that there was many bedrooms in this home, but we were forced to sleep in the same bedroom. And I thought that that was just odd. We be, being me, me and my um, ex-stepbrother. So it just created initially a lot of territorial arguments between us. Obviously, here I am in, in, encroaching on his space because I'm, I'm more or less a guest in his house. And, and it, was, it was interesting because the, the house did have the last name on the outside of it, and I don't have that last name. I have my dad's last name. I don't have my stepdad's last name. So I always felt excluded uh, when it came to the use of that last name. But what I found interesting was, and I didn't realize it at the time, is that I would go to bed and occasionally, and what started out as, you know, one night and then ended up being more repetitive as the relationship went on, I would hear him yelling, him being my, my stepdad at the time, him yelling, hit me, expletive, hit me, expletive, calling my mom names. And then I would hear a smack. Or 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 a, a or some sort of encounter that sounded like a punch or something, and I thought my mom was hitting him. I didn't think that he was hitting my mom, so I became very angry at my mom because mm. I thought she was being violent for him because he hadn't displayed that behavior toward me yet. He hadn't displayed the anger and the the yelling and those sort of things that that I was hearing that night. And then this kept going on and it kept going on. And I remember it kept going on to the point where I was wetting my bed and I didn't realize that that was why I was wetting my bed, but then I would get in trouble because I wet my bed. And then at that point I started getting the more dictator drill sergeant, you know, you have to clean your room. Why did you pee your bed? Only babies pee their bed. You know, that, that type of demeaning stuff that I would hear. And it made me feel very scared, but I didn't know why. I mean, I wasn't necessarily threatened with violence. It was just the feeling of what was happening in the home. And then also having the thought process that my mom was the one committing the violence. I didn't know who to go to. And I felt very trapped in that circumstance. And I felt like, again, also being isolated because I don't have the name on the house. I felt very alone. And I remember going to school and I would pee myself and things would happen and, and I didn't know why. I didn't have any clue as to what was going on. At some point, my mom ended up moving out and I, I know I had gone up to see my dad. My dad lives in the northern Nevada area and I'd gone up to see my dad and I, I think that they had, had had a conversation behind the scenes as to that she had to escape this marriage, but I don't know. And when that happened, we ended up moving cities. So... But there was always the threat that he was always going to come. I remember my mom telling me that we had to get in the car and we would just go on a long drive. 
And then looking back when I was older, I could recollect her having conversations of, well, he's trying to find me. You know, he's trying to, to, he's going to kill me. And I didn't put that together when I was a kid. So all of that combined at, to, to kind of sum this up, he being a police officer that he was got absolutely drunk and he was driving, literally looking for my mom. And in a neighboring town, he was there and he had an un, uh, it was an unloaded gun on him. And the police had already been called and the, the law enforcement already knows what's, what's happening here. And so there was a, a circumstance where he was being accosted by the police and he pulled his gun and the police shot him dead. It was suicide by Cobb. And he knew that, and that's how it, right. that, that was his escape from the world that we that he was dealing with. So, I don't know what demons were on his side that he was juggling. Obviously, that sounds like it's probably more than one generation. Um, but what I know is is that when that happened, my mom instantly got into counseling, um, which good for her for having that recollection to be able to do that. And I remember Absolutely. I was ha- I was talking and having conversations with the counselor, but I wasn't necessarily in counseling myself. Fast forward a few years. So that was third grade. We get into, I guess it was ninth grade at this point. And again, there wasn't really anything in my life that was that, that much gravity to this point. But then I start kind of getting into some intimate relationships and I start having girlfriends and I start, you know, doing some of these things. And I didn't realize that I had dealt with so much rejection in that domestic violence circumstance that when I felt like I was being rejected in a relationship, I would go from zero to a hundred on the anger scale. And I might not have even been rejected. I just know that I felt rejected or I felt humiliated or I felt, you know, like I wasn't part of the cool kids, if that makes sense. And I didn't understand that that zero from a hundred was happening until um, I actually went to counseling while I was in, it was probably my junior year of high school. And one of the things that, that I was able to recollect at that time was a lot of the anger that I was displaying was learned behavior from the circumstance that I was in. Now, fast forwarding into my podcast, um, I recently had a guest on talking about domestic violence and never once did I think about my own domestic violence situation, at least in the recent history, until that circumstance that I'm having this this guest on, and I'm listening to her story and I'm listening to her testimony, and that brought everything back up uh, about my own story. And it was at that point that I, I did, I had to back off. I had to make some phone calls. I had to talk with people about it. I had to share with the people that I feel have my back, friend groups, family, that sort of stuff. Because it, it did, it brought it back all up in the limelight for me to deal with again, um, even though I wasn't necessarily dealing with it. And there's there's more to the story than that, but that's why when it comes to domestic violence, I'm so passionate about anti-violence. I, I don't think that there's room for it. I think that it's a very immature manner of, of displaying emotion. And when you have to display emotion physically in that manner, it's very childlike. It's it's toddlerish, if you will. It's, it's not um, mature behavior. And Mm-hmm. regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the motive of why you feel that way, there are better ways to act. There are better ways to comprehend what's going on. There are better ways to ask for attention 
then going through that. And I think that that's probably the biggest reason why, you know, the Live Violence Free has always been an organization that I just truly like, or Advocates to End Domestic Violence has always been an an organization that I truly like, because they do. They give resources out. They're able to... um, help people in those circumstances and help people who are dealing with these things that are ultimately life-threatening. If he would have had a loaded gun that night, there may have been more dead people than just him. And you don't think about that until you hear about the circumstance. And, And so that's why, uh, that, so that's my story about domestic violence. That's also how it's affected me, but it's also where as a father, it's important for me to give the knowledge to my daughter and say, hey, there's going to be people that are out there that don't know how to manage their emotions, that don't know how to um, communicate in the right in the right ways, and it's very important for you to set boundaries with any, with anybody and everybody, to, because at the end of the day, you have to protect yourself. And for her, she's she's been able to see domestic violence on both ends from myself being able to communicate this, but also with circumstances that happen with her mom. And it's unfortunate for me to know that she's going through that and that it was something that I went through, but it's also one of those things that I I have the knowledge of it and I have the the experience of it to where I can share with her things that I've been able to do or, or how I deal with things or just listen if, if that's all that she needs. I think one of the most passionate things that I'm, that I have or that I do is I just listen. I have that, that ability to just, okay, I'll shut my mouth. You tell me anything and everything that you want me to say, and I'm not going to tell you anything back. I will just listen. Pretend that I'm the Very rock. Pre- yeah. Pretend that I am the shower head in your shower that you're crying to. Just tell me what you want to say and I'll leave it alone. And I feel like in that episode with my guest, I, I knew that she had already gone on to another podcast and she had already gone through all of the details with domestic violence. And candidly, every time you're sharing that, I feel sometimes you can pick that scab and does it ever heal? And I didn't want her to pick the scab. I, I wanted her to be able to just talk about the circumstance at the comfortability that she had and be able to share resources, what worked for her, be able to share where she's at now in life and leave it alone. And then of course I got her permission to also include the other podcast to share in the, in listening notes. So if people wanted to to go back through and hear her story, they could. Um, And what I found was, is that she didn't listen to it for probably four or five weeks. And when she listened to it, she responded back and she says, I'm really happy with the way that you did this episode. And yes. that was my goal. I didn't want to filter her, but I also didn't want to exploit her. That was not something that I wanted to do. It's very easy for podcast hosts to say, oh, I'm looking for somebody with X topic, or I'm looking for somebody with Y experience, and I'd like you to share it with me so that way I can say, hey, I have this topic on my podcast. I can care less about anything like that. I want people to have a forum to be able to share, and that was my goal. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, I'm I was thinking as you were telling your story that with domestic violence, especially when kiddos experience it at a young age, if they don't understand mentally what's going on or psychologically what's going on, it really is stored in their bodies. And I think that came out in your story of, you know, when you were starting to be in the dating relationships and you weren't 
exactly sure where that was coming from. It wasn't a conscious thing that you were doing, but it was something that was was stored in your body. And then same with, you know, sharing about wetting the bed. That's something that's very, very common in children in domestic violence homes that they don't know why it's happening, but mm -hmm. they're getting in trouble for it mm -hmm. by the same person who's causing them to do it in the first place because yeah. it's stored in their bodies. Well, and one of the things that I didn't neglect to say, I just didn't think about it until now, was that it also taught me how to enjoy toxic relationships. And I hate to phrase it that way, yeah. but it's true because that's what I knew. That's what I learned. Mm -hmm. That's my experience with it. So that was how I was shown love. So when I get into a relationship where I'm not good enough or I get into a relationship where I have to apologize all the time, or I get into a relationship where values don't match and it's my fault. I thrived on that because I felt like I have to make it work. It's my relationship. I can't fail at this mm -hmm. because if I fail at it, then I'm a failure, not recognizing that, no, that's just a failed relationship. That's not, I'm a failure and I deserve more too. And it really did transition into that. And I remember hearing a little bit about your story too, where you were able to kind of share that you had a similar tract and you had your own experience with it. But for me, it was very much like I would hop from toxic relationship to toxic relationship to toxic relationship. And my excuse would always be, well, my picker's broken. I have a broken picker. I, I can't pick mm -hmm. people very well. When the reality was, is that no, maybe I'm not choosing the right circumstances to, or ch choosing the right people to be able to offer a relationship with. And I've had to do a lot of, you know, self awareness with that too. Right. I would much rather be alone than in a toxic relationship. And I would much rather, you know, when my daughter was young, of course, I would much rather stay single than bring toxicity to her if that makes sense. And those were the choices that I made. And those were the choices that I'm very satisfied and happy that I did because yes, if, if I was in a relationship, a healthy one, and I was showing my daughter what that looked like, absolutely. That's great. That's wonderful. But I also knew at the time I was in a cycle that I had to break. And mm -hmm. in doing exactly. that, I needed to ensure that I was breaking the cycle more than, oh, well, let me show you what a relationship looks like to only find out what it's toxic, right? And so I, I, I'm very much about generational curses or generational patterns, and I don't mm -hmm. like to see that the, that the bad ones continue. I don't like to see that. I love seeing where people said, nope, I'm stopping. It's done. It stops with me. The buck stops here, and I'm moving yes. forward. And that's those are the types of... Um, positivities that I like to highlight with guests on my podcast, if that makes sense. Like, yes, you may have gone through something that's traumatic, but you stopped it. You, you know, you found mm -hmm. that this was where it ended for you. And this is why it's important for all of us to have self-awareness in this circumstance, if that makes sense. Yeah. One of the things that we say is hurt people, hurt people. So when you don't know any better and you think that's just normal in your home, of course, that's what you're going to go and act out in your own relationships. Yeah. You don't know any better. And that's just what feels right and feels exactly. like is appropriate to you. Exactly. And I was going to say also, and you said it exactly, until you break that cycle, it's just going to continue. Mm -hmm. And I, 
am really inspired by the people who are the cycle breakers as well, because it takes a lot of courage and a lot of self-work to identify all of that and say, no, I know I come from this and this is what I can take from that experience, but this is what I'm going to do about it. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I know there's going to be so many people who are inspired by that, including myself. I'll have to re-listen to this episode when I'm feeling uninspired. Um, So talking about your podcast again, what's one lesson that you've learned um, that you think is important for everyone to learn at some point? I think it's really important that when you're listening to somebody that you try not to make it about you. And that's just, that's conversational, of course, if you're having a dialogue with somebody, it's very important to be an active listener anyway, um, especially about heavy topics. Um, For me, I I find circumstances where I do have something in common with somebody and I I share it with them that I have that in common with them or we'll have a, a brief discussion about it, but I try not to dominate the conversation. I still want their conversation to be about them. And that's been something for me that I've really focused on that I'm not trying to guide what they what they're going to say i'm only guiding from topic to topic if that makes sense or i'm transitioning from you know bullet point to bullet point on the rundown so for me it's very important to not dominate the conversation myself it's more important for me to highlight what they're saying and to give them the spotlight and the forum to do that and i think that for me i've i've been aware of active listening for a number of years but this has challenged me frequently on saying, okay, I may agree with them or disagree with them, but that doesn't matter. Either one of those doesn't matter. It, this is their experience. This is their feeling. And it's, it would be shameful for me to put blood in the water, if you will, or, or, or taint their story by making it about me or trying to constantly interject about why I'm so important during their story, if that makes sense. And so for me, it's been very good uh, finding that happy medium with that where I'm able to relate, but I'm also able to say, yes, I can relate or, or, oh, I didn't know that. Here's my experience, but let's get back to your story. And at the end of the day, I really, really want their story to be highlighted. I want my guests to be the topic. I don't want to be the topic. And that's that to me is very, very important. I think you bring that not only into your podcasting, but into fatherhood also. It's it's great to hear you talk about the things that you instill in your daughter. You know, that father-daughter relationship is unfortunately, from my perspective, something that I think is rare, and especially to the extent that you are involved and provide that education and provide that safe space for her. I think that's something that's so important to talk about. Um, so yeah, you bring that to her, but you also bring that to your listeners of just being that person who's there and yeah, you have a, a point to say about this, but it's not your, your place to share your story at that time. It's theirs. And she has her own experiences and she, as much as I would like to say, Hey, you should make this decision or this decision or this decision. (laughs) I didn't listen to anybody when I made my own decisions and I fully expect her not to listen to me at all. (laughs) But I also want to be an advocate for her. I want to be her biggest cheerleader. I want her to always know, like when you asked what I would like to be known for, to to the world, I'd like to be known as a good human, of course, and somebody who was reliable and all the things that I said in the beginning. To her, I want to be known as the greatest friend that she was never able to choose, you know, that was forced upon her, if you will. 
because I, I have the ability and the privilege to be this person in her life for whatever length of time I'm allowed to be there that I'm able to just constantly root her on. And we, from when she was, when she was in at the end of fifth grade, no, when she, at the end of fourth grade into fifth grade, I actually got custody of her and I raised her ever since. Um, mm -hmm. And that was after a very toxic divorce because of toxic relationships and all that sort of stuff. None of it her fault. Mm -hmm. But I, I knew that I wanted her to feel safe around me constantly. And I wanted her to feel that home was safe because not every child has the opportunity for home to feel safe, right? And so if her room, her safety, her privacy, her, her ability to, to feel like she can be herself. I, I never once want her to put on a facade for me at home. Home is home. And, and, and even to this day, if I go over to, to, to her apartment where she lives now, I want her to be herself. I do not want her to put on a facade. And same thing, I might not agree with the decision that she's making, but I will always let her know that I support her. And we have such a phenomenal relationship because of the dialogue that, yeah. that we've been able to create. And I never want to leave this earth and leave her alone, but I understand that there's one day that that's going to happen. And I just hope that the time frame from from all of her memories until that day, she can look back and say, wow, my dad was awesome. And to me, if, if she says that after I pass, my life was successful. I don't care what position I had. I don't care how much wealth I had. I don't care what materialistic stuff. If she says, wow, my dad was awesome, then I did my job. What a gift that you're giving her with that relationship and wanting to leave that legacy just within her because then she can pass on that healthy cycle to her children or yes. however she decides to live out her life or have a family someday that that can be spread through her. And that's starting with you. Yes. And that's, and that's the goal. I want my grandchildren to know that they're safe, that they're, that they're healthy, that they have everything that they're supposed to have, that they're not bogged down with other people, other people's inadequacies that they're not bogged down with other people's inability to, to talk or communicate or handle their own feelings or communicate their own feelings in a, in a constructive manner. And if that's what it takes, then that's what it takes. It doesn't matter what my life is at that, at that point. It matters that, that the cycles are broken and that the opportunities are given to these beautiful people that are going to walk this earth and that are going to do great things regardless of wealth or anything else that they just know that they they come from a safe family yeah breaking the cycle is possible yeah absolutely shifting gears back to talking about the dv episode that you had i, I was able to listen to it and very much enjoyed it you were really trauma informed in the way that you were talking to your guest and how she was sharing her story and like you had had spoken about you phrased it in a way that was not harmful to her didn't pick at that scab and you did have a lot of insight on the subject you know now we know because of your life experience and also you're very familiar with the resources locally and nationally uh, so a two-part question here which we've kind of already answered of how did you gain your knowledge of domestic violence or become passionate about the issue maybe that could be how were you able to further your knowledge 
Um, and also, was there anything you learned during that episode that stood out to you? I know there were parts that affected you, but anything that you maybe specifically learned about domestic violence in that episode? So my guest went through such a traumatic event that I, I don't know that many people can relate to her, even if they have gone through domestic violence in their past before, just because of the outcome of it. Not everybody gets to that outcome. Domestic violence can be very, very minimal, um, but still be domestic violence, or it can be absolutely maximum, which is what we saw happen with her. For me, I think I, I expected for her to have a very timid approach to her story. I felt like she might walk on eggshells a little bit, especially if I were to peel back the onion any more than I did. And I felt that I didn't want her children to be exploited by name on the episodes. That was an agreement that we, that we made beforehand. Obviously, if you Google her, you're going to find some circumstances around the story and that just can't be helped. But I felt that, um, I, it was, it was my privilege and my honor to be able to deliver her story in the manner that it was done. And with that, what I learned is that she had, while it is, it is a chapter in her life, while it is something that she deals with, while it is something that will have remnants for a little while, especially with the children, she's very positive about it because it is it, it it doesn't define her, but it helped to make her the person who she was or is now. And also she was very open when talking about, you know, how the children were affected or how, you know, her husband, yeah. her husband now is affected. And I, I found myself asking questions more from a curious listener perspective rather than as a host who knows everything because I a lot of the questions that I did ask were not prepared they were not emailed to her beforehand it was really mm-hmm. a conversation going back and forth and I knew I needed to be respectful um, of her circumstance and I didn't want to disparage um, her ex-husband um, because her children could very well listen to the episode and I didn't want to bash him, although I never agree with what he did and the manner in which it right. ended. But I I would not want her children to be listening to this 20 years in the future and say, wow, this guy just, you know, took it upon himself to, you know, disparage my dad. That wasn't the point. The point was, is I wanted to highlight what she went through and I wanted to make a, create awareness. My, my whole goal was to create awareness. And as you and I've talked before many years ago, domestic violence can come in many, many forms and mm-hmm. creating an awareness of the little things, like what, what little things was he doing that, that first caught your eye as to this is a toxic or a, or a domestic violence thing. And, and she brought, she was able to bring up quite a bit of circumstances. She had to isolate herself from her friends. She had to um, lose some of the resources that she was around also, my mom told me a long time ago, and she probably told me from experience, that when women are trying to leave a circumstance, women plan. Men don't. I, I, men are simple. We want food. We want attention. We go to bed. Um, women, however, <laughs> are very much planning. They want to save the money. They want to put the money off to the side. Mm-hmm. They want to make sure that they have all the resources before they actually walk out the door. And I was able to, to talk with her a little bit about that sort of stuff, and that wasn't necessarily a conversation that I was prepared for 
prior to, but it was something that came up during. So what did I learn out of it or what did I take away? I guess the big thing is is that I took away that that she has done a phenomenal job moving forward. How did that impact me? That it 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 impacted me two ways. Number one, I was very proud of her. And at the end of it, once we once we stopped recording, I couldn't shower enough praises on her with what she's doing with her life. But then for me, it was it was also one of those things that was the awareness of, hey, people can go through really bad circumstances. The circumstances don't define them. The circumstances mm-hmm. are, are what help them to get where they are. And that's really important. And so for me, I guess that's the biggest takeaway from that particular episode for me. And that's hopefully what everybody else got too. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. And it was a really interesting point you brought up that the female is often the planner. I wonder if there's any statistics around that or maybe the person who is planning on leaving you know, they're, they're planning and they're thinking about it. And I'm curious if that was flip-flopped, like if the female was the perpetrator, is the male, is he more likely to be able to plan and do those kinds of things? Or is it that sudden decision that we know men are so known for? I'd be really curious to see that. Well, and I have a theory on that because domestic okay. violence happens both ways, as you know. Right. But the percentage of reported domestic violence from female to male, meaning yes. the females are the aggressor, is far underreported than it yes. is from male to female. And I think it's unreported for a number of reasons. Number one, men have this big three-letter word called an ego. And the moment we get our ego involved in things and you get that bruise on the ego, that bruise lasts forever. And... It's really hard for men to acknowledge that they're in a bad circumstance, specifically with domestic violence, that I would venture to guess that there's a lot of men that just put up with it because, and this is something that I'm trying to bring to light on the podcast is the pressure of men. We hear a lot about toxic masculinity in society right now. And while I agree that there's a lot of toxic masculinity that's out there, I don't believe that masculinity on its own is toxic. I think that um, masculinity specifically for guys of my age and older, um, is, Hey, you need to rub dirt on it and move forward. You know, you, you Mm -hmm. get back on the horse and we don't often take the time to figure that out. I I would venture to guess because men are pretty simple creatures. We, we just are, I wish we were smarter than we are, but, but we just are simple creatures. (laughs) We're very much, we're the closest thing to Neanderthals that walk the earth. Okay. We want food, we want love, we want sleep, we want hunt, we want laugh, and and that's it, right? And I think for men, it's very important that if you are in that circumstance, that you acknowledge that you're in the circumstance, and then you also help yourself to get out of it. But I would venture to guess that a lot of times men don't plan, they just do because of how simple that we are. And it's, well, I don't like that. There's fire. I need run, right? It's just very simple thought processes. So I would venture to guess that the vast majority of women plan, whereas the vast majority of men don't. I would say that we're probably the ones that are left without anything because we left everything to get away from it. Very interesting to think about, especially as someone who works in crisis services, you know, we'll, we'll work with someone and maybe they're leaving for the first time and then they go back and then they're leaving for the second time and they go back. And we know on average it takes seven times to leave. And so it's, it's very interesting to think about 
you know, working with the people who are trying to leave versus the people who said, I left, it's gone, I don't right. know what to do now, but I need help. You know, we, right. we get all, all of those experiences and everything in between. So maybe talking about uh, toxic masculinity as a topic, what are some other topic or guests you would like to highlight on your podcast? Who are your dream guests? Well, we've already talked about Graham Hancock because I really like conspiracy yes. stuff. But I, I guess I don't have necessarily a dream guest or a cookie cutter of somebody who would be a great guest on my on my platform. I would like to talk with people about circumstances that are impactful to them positively and negatively, meaning that it, not all of my conversations need to be about trauma, if that makes sense. They're just yeah. really heavy topics. And as a listener, you can kind of get bogged down on maybe I don't want to listen to the next episode because it's really heavy and, you know, you want to keep your listener base a little bit. So I, I, I would love to, you know, find people who have some great successes. And, and part of um, what I've done recently is really talk about like substance abuse and people who've been able to overcome and give resources because it's not as heavy as domestic violence, if you will, or, or um, mm -hmm. people who have been able to move on in a great co-parenting circumstance, which is an, uh, an episode that's going to come up here shortly. Um, that's very positive. There's not, there's not the big weighty topics. However, that doesn't mean that I don't want big weighty topics. I do. I want people to be able to talk about things that they've gone through. As far as subject matter, there's no subject that's off limits. Um, so if somebody wants to come on the podcast, they have a story to tell and they don't want it unfiltered and they want it to to share with people for awareness reasons, I'll accept anybody on there. Uh, if somebody has a, a, a book or uh, a platform that they're also trying to advertise as far as um, self-help or the ability to have people reach out for different resources or whatever, that's also welcome too. I'd love to hear about how people got uh, to the point where they decided to create this platform or this book or this whatever it is, what circumstances in their life made it for them where they decided, yes, we need to do that. We need to put this together. For me, I'm a teen parent. So in the background, I'm also working on a book um, for teen fathers because Ooh. if you look oh, at gosh. yeah, yes. if you look at the amount of books that are out there, if you search teenage parent or teenage father, a lot of times you're 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 getting a book on how to deal with a teenager. Um, if you look at teenage parenthood, you're finding uh, women wrote the books for both genders, right? Or you know, if you believe that there's multiple genders or whatever, go for that. But I have a experience being in domestic violence, toxic relationships, child custody, teenage uh, fatherhood, all of these things that I'd like to share with people. And so I've talked with Life Choices in Carson City about, you know, partnering with them a little bit. Um, I've talked with others that uh, have, have also shared a desire that if I actually come out with that book, and of course, I'm... I'm still putting it together, so it's not quite ready to publish or anything, but um, where they would like to share that resource to others. Because I remember when I was a teen father, and I, I went to Borders Bookstore with my grandma, and I'm looking for how to be a father, right? How to be a father. There was no book on how to be a father for teen fathers. Instead, there was the health videos that said, hey, if you get pregnant in high school, you've ruined your life. 
all you're going to do is burger flip for the rest of your life. Well, that's not true. Mm-hmm. You you can have successes in life, and you you just have a harder starting point than somebody else did. And I want to be able to share that and and um, gift some of those resources, if you will, onto others. So if somebody has a story like that or similar to, it doesn't have to be about parenthood, but maybe it's addiction, maybe it's abuse, maybe it's something else. Yes, come on, find me, look me up on social media. It's all unfiltered DIS or check out my website. It's unfiltered discussions podcast. There's a guest intake form on there. Let's let's connect. Let's discuss. I'd love to have you on. I'm so excited about that book. And I'm also thinking that you need to have some sort of a support group for dads that goes along with that. I, you know, wherever you'd want to host it or advertise it. But I think that is another arena that is just so underrepresented Mm -hmm. that there's, there's dads out there who are having those questions. And maybe because of that ego you were talking about, Mm -hmm. uh, they're scared to ask those questions and kind of put themselves in those scenarios and those what ifs and how do I prepare for this? And how do we have this conversation? And what if this comes up and then what happens next? And all of that is so important to be open about and absolutely something that every teen deserves is to have that relationship and to have that influence. You know, something I talk about a lot is how to be a safe adult for Mm -hmm. a teenager, because when I was going through, you know, my situation, I talk about what helped and what didn't help. And so being able to educate not only adults, but parents and more specifically fathers Mm -hmm. on having those conversations, just thank you for going down that path. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to do it. It is a task, um, so it is happening slowly, but it's happening, um, and it's really something that I'm privileged to do. I'm I'm excited to do it. It's something that I think that is beneficial for people, and of course, to be able to share the resource. Like, I don't want to do it to make money. Like, that's not my goal. If I make money from it, great. But I would much rather share the resource and say, hey, here's here's not a, a, a plan of attack, but here's kind of how I did it. And here's some of the biggest obstacles that I came across. And here's the biggest successes that I can share with you. And it is my testimonial and it's how it was done. And I think that that's the best when you can actually look at somebody and say, hey, they did it. Why can't I? And speaking of that, what advice would you have for anyone out there who's interested in either starting a podcast or maybe even going down the route of writing a book, uh, any other passion project that they might have, what's your advice for someone who's wanting to go down that road? I'd say do it if you're passionate about it. Do it for you. Do it for um, the difference that you want to make. Don't do it to think that you're going to become Joe Rogan and get a million listeners for every episode and, and get a $100 million contract. That's few and far between, but if you're doing it because you enjoy the subject matter or you enjoy the discussions with your guests or you enjoy the the content that you're putting out, I would say do it 100%, hop on it, figure it out. You don't need much technology to be able to do it, just do it and then take it from there, grow from there. Uh, same thing with a book. If if you want to write a book, I would say don't take it a chapter at a time. Take it uh, almost, uh, I, I took it like a parable at a time. Like I have a little bit of a story with a point and do that. Whether that becomes a chapter in your book, whether that becomes you know, uh, a, a big overarching theme of your book, whatever that, whatever that might be, I would say just do it, a, do a little bit at a time. 
don't, if you want, if you're a goal setting person that, you, you know, by the end of XYZ month, year, you want to have this done great, but also understand that that's your own goal and things happen on their own time. So I wouldn't get, I wouldn't get disheartened or disheartened by, um, by not meeting that. But I would say any progress is progress. So just do a little bit at a time. My mom would always used to tell me as a kid, how, how do you eat an elephant? It's one bite at a time. So don't swallow the whole elephant. And um, I would say that if you're interested in doing a podcast, understand that there's a ton of podcasts that are out there because they're, the, the podcast market blew up during the coronavirus. Everybody's at home. It was a way for them to, yep. to socialize with themselves. What you're finding is, is that people are back at work now. People aren't necessarily um, listening to podcasts per se, especially if they're back in the office. But if you're putting out good content, I'll guarantee you that you're going to reach somebody. And who you reach, you never know. You can change somebody's thought process. You can change somebody's outlook. Or you can change somebody's life. It just depends on your content. Do you have any ideas for the title of your book? I'm thinking Cycle Breakers. You were talking parables, so I immediately thought the Fatherhood Bible. <laughs> I, was, I was thinking parables of a teenage father. Um, oh, okay. But I don't know. Um, yeah. I, and, and that's probably going to be something that will be the last thing once the book is done to try to figure out. But I, I want it to be attractive um, from a book cover perspective where a teenage father is going to look at it and say, oh, this is about teenage fatherhood. Because that was my struggle. I kept trying to find books that, that how to parent a teenage a teenager. Well, that I was still a baby. I'm, I'm parenting a baby. Like, let me figure it out, you know? And so uh, something to do with that. Um, the Chronicles of a Teenage Father I've thought about, uh, Teenage Fatherhood by a Teenage Father, just things like that that I think are simple enough that if somebody looked at the cover, they understand, oh, that's about teenage fatherhood, and this is their story, or this is somebody who said, hey, here's how I did it. Um, because I think that that's important to know that when people conquer a task, that you can look back at that person and go, hey, how'd you do that? And then you can learn from them rather than somebody telling you what should be done, but they don't have the resume to show that it was done, if that makes sense. Yes, yes. I like the the track that you're on with those titles. And I think that's something that happens with podcasting also, is we don't know the title of it until mm -hmm. you go through and edit it. Exactly. <laughs> and then you, you think, oh, okay, this fits the overall picture, yeah. the whole elephant. Now we know what to name the elephant because we took it one bite at a time. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Well, Brian, how we normally end or kind of sum up our podcast episodes, uh, we engage in a little meditation. It's how we make sure that we're taking care of ourselves. And so if you'd like to participate, I just have a really simple, it's more of a breathing exercise than a, an actual guided meditation. We can just keep it brief for today. Um, but if our listeners want to go ahead and get into a space where they're ready to practice this, and we'll just make sure we're taking care of ourselves at the end of this episode. So what we're going to go over today is called abdominal breathing. So how I'm going to teach this and how you can learn this is having one hand on your chest and then one hand on your upper abdomen, kind of like the base of your rib cage. So we're going to be taking some deep breaths. And as you breathe, you want the hand on your chest to stay still. And you only want to feel the hand that's on your abdomen 
is going to be the only one moving. So hand on the chest stays still on the abdomen is the only one moving. So we're going to try to blow up our belly like a balloon as we breathe in and then to breathe it out without moving our chest. So abdominal breathing is really something that can be invisible to other people as we practice it. If it's something that works for you to kind of calm yourself down from any situation. If you ever look at how babies breathe, especially little young babies, they do abdominal breathing just naturally. It's a natural state of being relaxed that our bodies know how to do. But when we get stressed, we start compensating and breathing with our chest. And so bringing us back to that abdominal breathing can be really useful for us. So if we want to try this just a few times, it's actually hard for me to do right now because my belly's full of a baby. So <laughs> um, if you could see me, you wouldn't be following uh, exactly what I'm doing, but I trust that everyone is only having the hand on their abdomen moving. So we'll just take a, a few breaths here. I'm just going to count in for three and out for three. And then as we count out for three, you can say something to yourself along the lines of let it go or it is what it is or, you know, I am safe, I am at peace, whatever positive affirmation feels right or whatever you need to let go of in breathing out. So we'll go ahead and get started here. So we're going to breathe in for one, two, three, breathe out, one, two, three, practice again, breathe in, one, two, three, breathe out, one, two, three, one more time, breathe in, one, two, three, breathe out, one, two, three. So like I said, once you practice this a little bit more, you don't have to have the hand placement there. It can really be something that's invisible to other people. So it's a, an easy self-care routine that you can do in emergencies at the drop of a hat whenever you need it. Brian, it has been incredible having you on this podcast. My mind of many ideas is in so many different directions. And I'm just really looking forward to following your podcast and also your book release and all the things that I know are in store for you. Before we close this out, is there any other advice or anything else that you'd like to share with our audience? I guess the big thing is, is that be true to yourself. And also when you're in a circumstance that you don't know how to navigate, ask for help. It doesn't mean that you are in a circumstance that is unconquerable. It just means that you have to make a certain step to get some help. Uh, I'm a, I was a huge fan of the Monday Night Wars for the wrestling back in the 90s and the early 2000s. And the one thing that was awesome was tag teams and Royal Rumbles and all that sort of stuff. The best, the best part about not being defeated is having a tag team partner to bring in, whether that be a counselor, whether that be a, an intimate relationship partner, whether that be a friend, a parent, a family, a family member, you know, whoever that might be. It's always okay to tag in somebody and just get that real quick piece of advice. So that's what I would say. 
Great piece of advice. Thank you. We're going to have everything linked below for our listeners to access your podcast, but go ahead and shout it out now. Where are all the ways that we can listen and engage with your content? So it's the Unfiltered Discussions Podcast. You can visit Unfiltered Discussions Podcast, all one word, uh, dot com. Uh, there, every episode has a guest. There are guest tabs if you're interested in finding out a little bit more about the guest. Sometimes they have their social media link through access to their books or whatever it might be. Um, on social media, I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. It's at Unfiltered DIS, at Unfiltered DIS. Uh, episodes release every Monday. Uh, we have the 18th episode released at the time of this recording today. However, um, there are 20 episodes per season. Season one is getting to, getting ready to finish shortly. It'll be back on this fall. So I'm, I'm excited to have a little bit of a break, but I'm absolutely excited for the content that I'm bringing your way. Any plans for your six-week break? Uh, no. <laughs> Good. <laughs> That's what it's supposed to be, right? Yes. <laughs> All right. We will have everything linked below so that you can check out Brian's content. We obviously highly encourage that you do to be a part of that domino effect that we talked about and to be part of that uh, breaking the cycle. Brian, thank you so much for being here and having this conversation with us. It was so great to reconnect with you. It's been a few years since I think we've had a discussion. So this was great. And just to hear about everything that you're doing again, I, I know I'll be following along. Appreciate that. Absolutely. Thank you to all our listeners out there. And we hope you'll join us for our next conversation.